Great. All right. Well, Charles, thank you so much for coming on the show. Uh, it, it is just such a blessing to have you here. And, and I, I, I want to hear your story and your testimony because I know you're, you're there in South Africa and you've got, you said you have quite a story to tell. And so I'm really excited to have you here today. And uh, what, so what we always do on this podcast is we start with our guest testimony. So if you wouldn't mind, just jump right in. Just tell us your story. Tell us the things that God has done. Uh, just tell us about the, the testimony of God. Well, Ellen, it's a privilege to be on here, and uh, thank God. Thank you for the invitation, first of all, and thank God for this opportunity. I love opportunities that he gives me to share the testimony, and wow, what an adventure it's been. What an adventure the Lord has taken me on. Ellen, I'm just, I'm just going to go right back to the beginning. I knew, since I can remember, as a young boy, I knew I wanted to be an evangelist. And I didn't quite even understand what an evangelist was, till one day, I saw an evangelist on television, a whole stadium full of people, 20,000 people worshiping God, tears going down their cheeks. And what happened was in me, my spirit leapt. And I knew this was it. This was what I wanted to do. This was where the Lord was taking me. This was it because this man of God stood on a platform in front of a massive crowd and he totally forgot about the crowd and he was talking to God and he showed people something and he showed me something that I've never known before, that I never knew, that personal relationship with the Holy Spirit. It was so awesome. It was so beautiful. So I, since I can remember, I wanted to be an evangelist. Now I grew up in a Christian school and a church and Christian family. And my idea about evangelism was you need now a big stadium, you need the billboards, you need the television ministry, you need flyers, you need a big name and a bigger budget to do it. And so this is my idea about, and now after Bible school, I went to Rayma Bible School here in South Africa with Pastor Ray Bacoli. Um, they also associated with Ray, Rayma Bible School there in Tulsa, I believe, with uh, Kenneth E. Hagen. Yeah, so yeah. afterwards, now, now I'm excited. I mean, I'm going to hit the streets. I'm going to be this big evangelist. And man, what a shocker. The more the desire, and I mean, I can't even explain to people the desire that burns the fire, the holy calling inside of you when you are called for the ministry. The calling is indescribable. You can't explain the desire, the holy desire that's awoken inside of you. And you are so... You want to just fulfill the calling, but nobody told me how to, and nobody could because they had their own journey to walk on. And I thought, man, if I can just have a stadium, if I can just have trucks and sound systems, and then we can do evangelism. And so I frustrated myself to the point of just absolutely disqualifying myself because I'm walking around with this, this, unquenchable desire to do something for God, to minister the gospel, to win souls, and to show people this personal relationship that they can have with the Holy Spirit, to invite them into that fellowship that they can have. And so, but I just didn't know how to do it. I was looking for pulpits. Everywhere I went, I just tried to get some, but nobody wanted to invite me because nobody knew me. Nobody had any idea who I was. I was just this young guy, out of, fresh out of Bible school, thought I knew everything. You know how you are when you're out of Bible school. You think you know everything, you know? Yes. And then only then you realize, but you, you actually don't know nothing. The more you learn, the more you get taught by the Holy Spirit, the more you realize how much there's still to learn. It's, it's beautiful. 
anyway, so I've got this calling on my life. I'm, I'm, fl- I'm smiling now because I'm getting to the good part now. <laughs> and so I disqualify myself, Alan. I mean, I try everything and I just can't find the, the ability in myself to answer this calling. It's an impossible dream. It's an impossible calling. And it's frustrating if you try and do it by the flesh and you don't do it by the spirit. Isaiah chapter 6. Yes, Isaiah is a young man, a young prophet, and he sees the Lord on the throne and he sees the glory and the angels crying, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God. And I mean, the train of his robe falls, the temple and the doorpost shake at the voice of him that cried. And he falls and he says he's undone. And he's a man of unclean lips and he dwells amongst the people of unclean lips. Now comes an angel and takes a live coal of fire from the altar and puts it with the tongues on his mouth and says, now you are purged. And God says, who shall I send? Who will go for us? And Isaiah stands up. The same man that felt like a dead man, that was totally undone, couldn't stand face to face in the presence of God. Yet the same man stands up by the spirit, by the fire that purged him. And he says, here I am, I will go. And this is basically what I experienced in my life. I had this calling, I had the desire, and I saw it. I saw it, my prophetic discernment eyes was all open. I could see the vision, I could see the calling, I could see the souls, I could see the masses of people. I could see it and it was burning like wildfire within me. But to do it in the flesh, it's just absolutely impossible. And this is mostly how God calls you. He calls you to do something that you can absolutely not do on your own. You've got to totally rely on him. And so I'm in this, and they're in this state of absolute despondency, miserable. I was just so sorrowful, so full of grief because I had disqualified myself from fulfilling the one thing that I felt I was born for, to preach the gospel, to win the lost. And I was, it's a terrible place to be in. It's like, you just, you just not, you just, how do you do it? How do you, I had so many questions. And um, I was one night sitting, uh, very discouraged. And the Lord came to me in my room. He came, Jesus came in the room. Yeah, what was that like? Oh man, awesome. (laughs) What do you mean? It's, It's the love. It's God, the love of God that filled the room. It's like warm liquid love. I mean, how do you describe that? It's like butterflies in your stomach. It's like you love sick. You you in that place where, man, don't ever leave me, Lord. Don't ever leave. <laughs> this is awesome. I don't want this to end ever in my life. You know, so so I yes, Jesus, but but the message is what got me. And the 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 life-changing encounter was this. He said to me, Charles, I love you while you are yet a sinner. And I want you to come just as you are. And I'm going to take you, I'm going to throw you into the deep end of the pool, into the deep water. We're going to launch into the deep and that's where you're going to learn. Okay. I didn't quite understand it. So he showed me a vision. The vision was this. I was in a third person perspective and I saw Jesus on the cross. And I saw the father and what happened on the cross of Calvary and how the heart of the father broke in him when he turned from Jesus, when Jesus cried, my, my God, my God, why have thou forsaken me? Because remember, Jesus took the sin of the world on him and the wrath of God and the righteous indignation, the punishment, you know, the curse of the Lord was all poured out on Jesus. And this is the place where he cries out, 
my God, my God, why have thou forsaken me? And even though yet he slay me, yet, yet shall I, even though he slays me, yet shall I praise him. And Jesus offers up the ultimate act of worship in spirit and in truth. It's not based on what God does for you or what you have or how comfortable your surroundings or your circumstances are. Even though he slay me, yet shall I praise him. And in this, the perfect offering of worship explodes and for the first time in 4,000 years somebody worships God in spirit and in truth this is what's happening on the cross and the father's heart turns and I feel how much the father loves Jesus I mean the tears are now flowing down my cheek I see this whole thing playing out on the cross of Calvary and and I mean imagine what must have gone through the heart of the father when he turns his back and and it's basically turning his back and just where Jesus, the Son of God, who never knew what it was to be forsaken. He's the Word that was with God and that was God. The, the Word that created everything in Him, we live and move and have our being. The Word made flesh. And always, He was always with the Father. Never knew what it was like, what, what, what to expect. And I feel that the, I can just sense in, in, by the Spirit of the Lord in this vision, the love of the Father towards Jesus. It's indescribable. You, you cannot imagine. I mean, there is just no way to articulate it and to verbalize it, to describe it, to, to try and convey it over in a way that can be understood. The love, it's absolute perfect love of the Father. And he turns and how he, his heart basically just rents and, and, and just, just torn within him. And I'm crying. I, I realize in this vision, I realize the worthiness of Jesus and the preciousness that's a better way to say it. The preciousness of Jesus on the cross. And I'm in tears, man. And this Jesus becomes so real because he's forsaken, so I don't have to be forsaken. You see, he's here on the cross so that I don't have to be on the cross. The whole gospel message, the absolute love of God is just revealed to me in this vision by the Holy Spirit. And I thought this is the end of the vision. You know, what an encounter. What a life-changing encounter. Wow. God the Father loves Jesus so much. Wow. And the father says to me, Charles, if you don't take what I'm about to tell you right now, you have no part in me. Wow. I said, what is it? You know, I mean, I'm in tears. Now I'm, I'm uh, curious. I'm like, what is this? He says to me, I love you just as much as I love Jesus. Wow. Uh, now, I, now I'm freaking out. Now I'm like, no way. How can you love? I'm a sinful man. How can you? Because I experienced the love of the father towards Jesus. This was very real to me. He said, yes, because I gave Jesus in your place so that you can live. And when I look at you, I see the lifeblood of my son. I see Jesus. I love you just as much as I love Jesus. When I look at you, I see Jesus. I see his life. I see the lifeblood. You know what Jesus said in John? I can't remember the verse now, but you can Google it. <laughs> Google 5 verse 14. It says, <laughs> no. This is what he says, with the same love that the Father has loved me, I have loved you. That's the same love. He is God. He's God the Son. That's the same kind of love. Now, this broke me. I mean, this just, I was undone. Now, I'm, I'm, I'm there. I'm weeping. I'm, I am discovering my identity in the way that the Father loves me. He loves me like he loves Jesus. And now my identity in Christ is rising up. It changed the way I saw myself in the mirror, Alan. 
It changed the way I prayed. It changed the way I thought of myself. It was, it was this typical picture of a young boy that if he hears that he's not good enough and he can never do it and, and everything he does is a miserable failure. And, and this is where he gets his identity in the way that people treat him and the way people react around him. And the way, this is where he starts believing the way that people and the world treat you. In the same way, God calls those things which are not as though they are. And he says to you, you are the righteousness of God in Christ. And I love you with an unconditional love. And you're going to make it. And this is the conviction of the Holy Spirit. He convicts you of righteousness because he has gone to the Father. So you get your identity in that love. That the Father loves you as much as he loves Jesus. And when he looks at you, he sees the blood of his son. Do you realize this is where I got the, the revelation of a value of a soul? It hit me. Alan, I, I never knew we were so precious. Mm. I, I never knew that, that when the father looks at you, your value is the life of the son of God. He gave his life freely, willingly, so that he was the firstborn of many brethren, the seed that was sown so that we can rise up in the manifestation of the sons of God. And we can be like him, we can walk like him, and we can be loved, and we can know who we are in Christ. It, it messed me up in a good way. It messed me up in such a way that nothing else would do forever. I never, this was, my heart was one, and love was awoken in my heart, because the time pleased. And this was the time where I just said, Lord, nothing. I won't settle for anything less. I'm not going to walk away from the dream, from the calling of God on my life, though it looks impossible, though it looks like I can't do it. And I just don't have the ability to do it. And thank God it's not by power. It's not by might. It's by my spirit, say the Lord. So I thought this was the end of the vision. Because now you've got to understand, Jesus is now very precious to me. He says, in Peter, 1 Peter, 2 Peter, he says, unto those who believe in him, unto them is he precious. Jesus becomes my best friend. I'm more aware of him than anything or anyone else in this world. This is where he's more real to me than anything else. This is my friend, my savior, my God, my Lord, my King, my master, my redeemer. I mean, he, he's with me. I mean, He's so precious, the love of the Father, the love of God has been shed abroad in our hearts by the Holy Spirit. So the love that I share with Jesus, and it happened in this moment, in this vision. Understand, you you got to understand, this was a, a download from heaven that all these revelations were just shooting and popping into my spirit. And my mind had trouble keeping up, but it, it was soaking by the ability of the Holy Spirit, by His anointing. It, it soaked up the revelation of how precious Jesus is and how wonderful he is and how close I am to him. Now you've got to understand something. I thought this was the end of the vision because it's life-changing. Suddenly the Holy Spirit takes me to the third section of this vision. I start seeing family members. I start seeing strangers. I see people in the streets, in the highways, in the byways. I see people, gangsters, prostitutes, drug dealers, uh, just normal Christians, believers. I see all people from all different walks of life, different people, different places. And the love of God is shed in my heart by the Holy Spirit. And suddenly, because Jesus is so real to me, 
and I love him so much. And I realize in that moment that he has given his life for that person to be saved. So if the father loves them just as much as he loves Jesus because he gave Jesus in their place, then I must love them just as much as I love Jesus because the one I love died so that they can live. By this shall men know that you are my disciples, that you love one another. How can you say that you love God, but you hate your brother? Then the truth is not in you. You're a liar. Because how can you not love your brother who you have seen? And you say, but you love God whom you have not seen. You know, you know the story, 1 John. So the value of a soul, this is where I discovered it in this vision. Little did I know that after this vision, after the Lord taught me the value of a soul and, and spoke to me prophetically about a revival of the love of God that is about to hit the world, that's about to shape nations, that's about to bring in the greatest harvest of souls because of his love, because of his mercy and his grace. The thankfulness in the hearts of people that get saved is going to be so much that we will be, we will see the holiest generation that ever walked the face of the earth. And it will be by the Spirit of the Lord and it will be by the love of God and the mercy and the grace of God that is just poured out over the nations. I saw a revival of the love of God where stadiums are filled, but where everybody in the body of Christ is needed and all, all hands is required on deck, where everybody is participating and where we carry the presence of the Lord, where we walk and change the atmosphere of cities and towns. I didn't know what was lying ahead, what was coming, what was waiting for me. But two weeks later, I found myself through a series of events that was orchestrated by God. I found myself in a whole town gospel campaign in South Africa. I, I have this vision. I don't know what to make of it. The Lord is precious to me. And now here we are in a gospel campaign. And what they do is this this was a gospel campaign orchestrated by Robbie Cancross, also an evangelist here from South Africa. And um, what, what we were doing is we were going shack to shack and house to house. I mean, if I, if I talk about shack to shack, I'm talking about African villages. I'm talking about um, shanty towns. I'm talking about just, they just put together anything, planks, tin, anything that they can get just to build some kind of a shelter from the elements. Yeah, we have a lot of that here in Panama, or in Panama where we You guys, I, I was in Seattle, but you guys, I saw a lot of tents there. <clears throat> oh, yeah. Um, of, of the, you know, some of the homeless guys have a lot of tents, but it, yeah, well, I think uh, a shack is actually better than a tent. I mean, but well, so we're going now and we, we're walking in the dust in the heat of the day under the African sun. It's summer here, it's hot. <clears throat> Excuse me. It's hot, it's summer, and um, I think to myself, man, God is so pleased with me. He's so impressed with me, man. He's going to, something's going to happen. He's going to give me money or something because I've got this orphan mentality. I've got this servant, no, slave mentality, basically, where I think, well, the more I work for it, the more I earn it, and the more I deserve it. So he's, he's still working on me. It took three days. We were walking leading people to the Lord, and I didn't enjoy it. I didn't enjoy evangelism because in my mind, 
evangelism was uh, getting a stadium full of people with all the right equipment and all the sound and the lights are perfect and everything is excellent and the air conditioning is full on. And, and I mean, the sound is the, the music and, the, and this is my idea of evangelism. And yes, absolutely, there's a place for that. But that basically disqualifies most people in the body of Christ from doing evangelism. If you think that that's the only way to do evangelism and get the world and get our generation saved and to evangelize at least. So I've got this idea that, man, I've got to, I've got to get a pulpit. I've got to get behind the pulpit. Somebody's got to invite me, but nobody knows. So I'm just preaching the gospel. Three days it took me, Ellen, where suddenly after three days, the lights went on. And God said to me, Charles, I'm giving you a promotion. I said, wow, what do you mean you're giving me a promotion? He said, yes, from now on, everything that you want to do in a church, in the four walls of the church, you've got to consider the whole world as your congregation. I thought to myself, what do you, what do you mean? He says, no, the whole world is your church. The whole world is your parish. The whole world is your congregation. And where, wherever you walk in the streets, whether it be in the schools or on the street corner, he says, every street corner is your pulpit. Every shop is your pulpit. It's, it's where you minister and you prophesy to whoever you see on the street. You lay your hands on them. You heal them. You preach the gospel. You preach to them. You teach them. You encourage them you lay you heal the sick and cast out devils you it's as if it's a massive revival service that's on 24 7 that's not just limited to the four walls of the church or an hour on a sunday morning this is revival the revival of love it hit me it my eyes opened up the joy of the lord ellen filled my life my heart it flowed over it felt like i was standing in a glory cloud I couldn't stop smiling. The smile, I just felt Jesus smiling through my face, man. My face became numb because I couldn't stop smiling. I said, Sean, Sean, this was the team leader, Sean Peters, that was leading, and I was following him for three days through. through I mean, you preach from the morning to the evening. This is hard work. When you don't have this revelation of the love of God, you think you're working for God, you know, hard work. Well, this is the revelation. I said to him, Sean, I've got it. I've got it. The Lord talked to me. He showed me the truth. Come on, let's go. We got it. Across the street from me, there's a library, a public library. So we go over into the public library and I walk up to the lady and I, I introduce myself. I said to her, I'm Charles Kruger. We are busy volunteering for our whole town gospel campaign and we're preaching the gospel. And we have come to preach the gospel here in the library. Uh, can you get everybody together for me? Uh, I want to preach to them and pray for them and invite them to the service. So the lady looks at me like, what? And there was this awkward pause moment. And then she says, with a bigger smile on her face, she says, okay. And she gets up. She gets all the staff members she gets all the patrons, all the people sitting there reading their books. She, she lines them up. She gets, there's a room with chairs. She gets them. This is impromptu. This is spontaneous, spur of the moment, revival service in a public library, brother. Wow. We, I've got 40 people sitting in front of me that don't know what. They're shocked. They're surprised. Just as surprised as me. 
and suddenly the glory of God comes in there. I always thought I've got to pray and fast and seek the Lord and and you know and that's the way that you got to be anointed and and then get the anointing and then you go out in the streets. But I realized that when you put a demand on the anointing, that the anointing shows up. When you pray for the sick, then the anointing, you can, I mean, I was anointed and I didn't even know it. I was waiting for the anointing. Meantime, I already had the anointing. I was baptized and filled with the Holy Spirit. I could talk in tongues. I mean, and yeah, when the moment I put in an a demand on the anointing. Suddenly the spirit of the Lord came on me. I started preaching. We had a full on revival service. A demon was cast out of the one lady. I still remember she burst out in tears and fell on the ground. Just out. Just, she couldn't stand anymore. She was just, it was the power of God was so real and so intense in that room. People got saved. Some people got saved. 20 or 30 minutes later, I mean, this revival was happening there. We end it off, we give the altar call, lead people to the Lord, invite everybody to the evening revival service in the town hall that we couldn't fill for three days or we couldn't even, we couldn't even get a quarter of it full uh, for three days of preaching the gospel house to house, lots of volunteers. So I go out of this library and I think to myself, Lord, what just happened? What, what are you, I go out and the school, just the, the high school, just got out. The high school is for the seniors. Well, basically the seniors got out and they got out and there was a group of about 15 of them walking in the street. And I said to them, hallelujah. And they're like, eh, what, what's this guy talking about? What, what are you? Who are you? I said, come here, man. I am a, I'm, a, I'm an evangelist. I want to preach to you. I want to tell you about Jesus. I want to tell you and I want to pray for you. That you get saved and your sins are forgiven. And so now they're curious, you know, our kids are, they come. They want to now listen what's happening because kids well, young people, they pick up whether you're genuine or not. They pick up whether you're fake. They pick up whether you've got an hidden agenda or an alternative motive or something. Uh, but when they see that you are in, you carrying the love of God and you really love them, it's as if you speak as one having authority. It's as if you are speaking with conviction, as if you believe what you are saying. They can pick it up and the world can pick it up anytime. So here, this crowd of 15 people are standing, young people are standing, and the one fell out, I still remember, no catchers, you know. We, we, from the charismatic and some of the Pentecostal circles, there's a lot of people falling out, and they, 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 they act like they're falling out under the power of God, and they call it slain in the spirit. You know, so I don't know if you guys are familiar with a lot of this. And, and sometimes it's so fake and it's so fabricated that you, you wonder, oh, Lord, you know, thank God for his grace and his mercy. But anyway, so here we're standing in the street and the glory of God comes in. These guys, these kids aren't even saved. They just, they just busy getting saved. The glory of God is so strong that they fall out and lie and burst out in tears, lying on the ground, weeping, having an encounter with Jesus on the ground. They're in the street. I thought, Lord, what are you doing? What's happening? But the glory is there. They get, they get saved in tears. They call on the name of the Lord. They get saved. This is heavy. Now, from there, this is right in front of the public library. So from there, we get in the car. We got, we're going back to our accommodation, back to the hotel where we were staying. And on the way back, 
well, it wasn't an hotel. It was a place <laughs> like a hostel or something. On the way back, we, we noticed that the town hall that we have rented every night uh, is jam-packed with people, filled with cap to capacity, about 300 people. It's not, I mean, 300 people. So I say to Sean, Sean, the Lord has filled the hall for us. We didn't know what was going on. We, we stopped the car, we go in, and it turns out it was a pension payout thing. So everybody was sitting in the hall waiting for their pension payout, like well, like welfare, basically like the same as welfare uh, kind of a thing. Um, and they're sitting there waiting to get some grant from the government just to buy the necessities. There's a lot of old people and people with disabilities and so on. They're sitting there. And I say to Sean, hey, the Lord has filled the hall for us. I jump on a chair, Alan, and I say to everybody, hallelujah. You know, Jesus is Lord. And this, because I'm so excited, I'm still in the glory cloud. The joy of the Lord is bubbling over. I've got such boldness. I'm just like in a state of revival, man. I get on a chair and everybody responds and they say, amen, you know. And so we have a two-hour, and I mean, we didn't even ask permission or everybody probably thought, well, we organized with somebody. Nobody stopped us. Nobody chased us. The whole crowd, I mean, there's 300 people and they're all excited because they're sitting there waiting for money. They've got nowhere to go, nothing to do in the chairs. And so we have a two-hour gospel service, a fiery revival service. Two hours later, we were still laying hands on people in the streets. We, they made a healing line, a queue for people to receive prayer for healing. They, the queue stretched around the block. This was spontaneous. This was orchestrated and organized by the holy spirit we lay our hands on people and they get healed the cripples walk the blind see the deaf hear the demons are cast out this is happening in the streets people are passing by they hear they see what's going on they see the crowds they get out of their cars they walk out of their houses and they come and join the healing line and people get saved we we were and i thought to myself lord what have we just discovered what is this he says, this is the revival of love. This is my church where it is needed. You asked me, Lord, send me. So I sent you where I need you. I need you in the marketplace. I need you in the shops. I need you in the schools. I need you in the hospitals, the creches, the old, the, the kindergarten. I mean, I need you everywhere, the clinics, um, shopping malls, street corners, house to house, wherever there are people. And so this started... This started Loveborn. This started the ministry that I've got now. We're doing old town gospel campaigns. We go into a town for seven days or so. As we go into the town, I don't know if you want to, you got to jump in because I'm just going on. I'm just giving my testimony, Alan. This is no, that's, that's what this is for. That's what this is for. We okay. love hearing, okay, I love hearing people's we'll, stories. Well, we'll chat in a moment. But anyway, so I'm, I'm just so excited when I just think about it, what the Lord has done. So I organized with one of the pastors from a small church, an AFM church, John G. Lake, came to South Africa. He was from the United States, from Spokane. And he actually came to South Africa and started a revival years ago, like 100 years ago. And I think he established like 600 full gospel or apostolic faith mission churches here in South Africa, a revival. 
broke out. Many people got healed. Wonderful, wonderful, awesome things. And so I phoned the AFM pastor. I said, pastor, you got to know something's happening. There's revival in the streets. People are getting saved in the streets. And the church is overflowing and the people are coming in the revival services. It's crazy. It's, it's exploding the love. People are in tears giving the hearts to the Lord in the streets. And I mean, God is using everybody. He's not just using some big shot evangelist with a big, you know, all respect to men of God. But this was me. This was somebody that felt like you were just totally disqualified. And the Lord in his mercy and in his grace so fit to use me. And now I realize I didn't need a stadium. I didn't need a million dollars in the bank to book a hall or rent equipment and pay some, some famous gospel artist to come and sing and draw people. I, you know, this was me walking with my two feet in the revival part and the people start following you. And then they make crowds around you. I understand. I understood for the first time the, the term, the throng of the crowd, the praise of the crowd where the crowds gathered around the apostles as they walked and took cities for God in the early days of the church. This is what happened. The people follow you. They follow you all over. There's like a tipping point of a revival. Uh, when you go into a town, you get volunteers from the local church and you practically impart or activate them for the evangelism and for the revival that's busy happening they walk with you for two three days just looking they're just walking with you suddenly the lights go on suddenly they get it and the joy hits them and they see the value of a soul and they see that is this is not work this is a flow of the spirit and they start praying for people in the streets they start inviting them to the services the sick are healed i mean people get saved we lead people to the lord going, making appointments in factories, in businesses, making appointments to come and pray and preach for the staff. And the Lord makes it, I mean, supernaturally, the Lord just gives us absolute favor. And you wouldn't believe it. Muslims ask us to come and pray for their business. And we go in and we preach the gospel and they get saved. Buddhists, Hindus, um, it's like it's absolutely open. The people are hungry for God and because they pick up that we're walking in the love of God. And so we, we take these volunteers out into the streets and we invite people and we minister to the people and we invite them back into the evening services and, we, and it's a revival in the streets. Three days later, there's a tipping point of the revival that we call the tipping point. It's where you don't ask people if you can pray for them or if you can come and preach in their shop or anything. It's like the thing shifts and now people start phoning you. When they see you in the street, they run to you and they make crowds around you and they ask you, please pray for me. Please, I need this miracle. Please, I need to accept the Lord Jesus. It's like people come to you and ask you, how can we be saved? It's like the whole atmosphere shifts in a town, in a community. Up until now, we, I've done about, well, maybe 30 whole town gospel campaigns, maybe 40. Wow. Um, and, uh, but it, I mean, it's only, I feel like I haven't even begun, Alan. It feels like I'm only beginning to launch into this ministry. And I'm more excited than ever. I'm more on fire than ever. And the love of God is more real to me than ever before. And I know that this is God's plan to take, entire towns i mean we've got todd white 
And we've got guys like the Zondergaard guy from the Netherlands. We've got a lot of guys going into lifestyle evangelism. I don't know if you've heard about it. Oh, yes, yes. Absolutely. I mean, the, what they're doing is, I mean, amazing. It's exactly the same thing. I thought when this happened in 2011, I thought I was the only one in the world that this was happening, that, that got the revelation of this. Later on, I saw, and I didn't know about anybody else doing it. Later on, I saw that God was doing this all over the world. He was doing the same thing. It's prophetic evangelism, lifestyle evangelism, or call it adventure evangelism. It's very spontaneous. It's not really planned out long before. We found that taking six months to plan a one-week gospel campaign is a little bit, there's something wrong with that idea. You know, you can just show up in a, in a place and you can start preaching the gospel. And the Lord can orchestrate it. And the Lord can organize it. Sometimes we organize the life out of a preaching campaign or a gospel campaign. And, and I'm all for planning and if it makes the job easier. But at the end of the day, you've got to be flexible and you've got to be led by the Spirit. And you've got to be able to change your plans and go with the favor of the Lord. If this school doesn't open up, then another door opens and that school opens up. Then somebody in that school invites you to their house. Then the guy in the house is the owner of a factory. He says, please come and preach tomorrow morning in my factory. And you find yourself standing on a forklift in front of 200 people. They stop production for two hours to give people the opportunity to receive Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. Never before done ever in the history of that factory. I mean, I'm talking about things that actually happened to me. So this is what we do. We go into a town. And we get people, we get them filled with the presence of the Lord. And what the Lord is now showing me is lifestyle evangelism, but with a strategy to actually go into a town on purpose, intentionally, to take that town for Jesus. To take the whole town. I mean, to preach the gospel everywhere, to preach the gospel in every house, to reach every soul in a matter of weeks. You can reach everybody in that town. There's enough volunteers and you have evangelistic evenings where you have the revival services and you invite the people in the streets. That means the, the, the churches overflow. There's not enough place or room for all the people that wants to come into the churches. It's just, it's revival. It's like the people queue outside. Later on, they carry the speakers outside. You have open air services and God uses normal people, people that's been sitting in church maybe for years thinking that, well, I want to do something for God. But when you think of evangelism, you don't want to do it because our idea of evangelism was, was just wrong. My idea of evangelism was wrong. I thought you got to work, you, you work for God and you're trying to impress him and please him and deserve something. Um, you, you, you're doing it so that you can get some kind of a reward. No, it's about the value of a soul. It's about Jesus, seeing Jesus in every person that you meet on the street and loving them with the love of God and just showing them the love of Jesus and that unconditional love. Whom has been forgiven much, the same loveth much. In his wrath, he remembers mercy. That's why the nations fear him. That's why the nations fear him, because he remembers mercy. And that's talking about a reverential fear. And I know that as we are going into this new era, this new decade, we're launching into a new decade of the greatest harvest of souls we've ever seen. I see that church buildings, facilities, offices, 
houses, wherever, wherever there's a facility, I see that the Lord is setting up these revival headquarters all over the world, in cities, on farms, where we will have a time of fellowshipping with the Holy Spirit and a time of practicing the presence of the Lord, just soaking in the glory of God and out of the overflow of that anointing and that fellowship and that love that has been awoken inside of you by the Holy Spirit, out of the overflow of the abundance of His glory in you, you go out in that glory cloud and you start telling people about Jesus. You pray for the sick. You see miracles. You, you tell people about Jesus and it won't be long before the atmosphere in your town changes. And when the people see you, they see Jesus in you. And they call on the name of the Lord because of the glory that you carry. Amen. And so they come to you and they ask you, please, can you tell me about Jesus? I see these prayer and evangelism centers popping up all over the world. And not just in houses, but churches that normally would have one or two or three services a week and the rest of the time the church is standing empty god says i want to use that church facility that building i want to use it 24 7. i want it available for revival i want it available for people to come and soak in the glory maybe put on some worship music maybe soak in the glory of god waiting on the lord until the holy spirit inspires prayer inside of you and awakens your heart to love god he wins your heart as you wait on him and that's the stuff revival is made of. And it's, it's a flow of the spirit. It's not, it's not by power. It's not by might. It's by my spirit. The Lord started speaking to me, Alan, about clustered down revivals. Where, where it's not just one revival. You do one town for a week or two and you get that old town evangelized. Then you go to the neighboring town and these are like what they did in the days of Charles Finney. And sorry, my voice is like this. I've been preaching nonstop since the lockdowns began, <laughs> since March, preaching nonstop. I mean, but the Lord is good. Thank you, Jesus. Maybe sometimes two or three times a day, mostly two times a day, but three times a day, just preaching and praying for people and prophesying. And it's been amazing just sharing and just practicing the presence of the Lord on Facebook Live. It's beautiful. And so the Lord started showing me these clustered town revivals like in the days of Charles Finney, where he came and they went from the one town to the neighboring town to the other town and another town, that the atmosphere changed in that district or in that county where people would come with their horse carriages and come into that when they crossed the border or the gate, they went through into that place they fell off of their horses crying in tears asking god to forgive them of their sins just the atmosphere of the anointing of the holy spirit that that conviction hit them so hard that there was such an awareness and such a substance to the presence of the lord that was so manifested and tangible and real and we can take counties we can take districts we can take provinces we can take states if you can take a neighborhood a neighborhood if you can take a town you can take a city you can take a state you can take a nation you can take a generation in jesus name by the spirit of the lord by the anointing practicing the praises of the lord amen yeah so, Alan, that's basically it and i'd love to tell you about what god taught me about the presence of the lord but uh, I want you to talk to, to me. <laughs> I've been talking, I've been going on and on, but you can see that this is alive in me. And today, up to, up to today in the Old Town Revivals, we have 
over 65,000 decisions for Christ. That's one-on-one evangelism in my personal life. I mean, there's many, many, many people activated for evangelism that when we leave that town, uh, after we have activated this revival of love, when we leave it, the pastors and the leadership in the church in that town sits with activated believers that they can actually use and they can delegate there. They can say, okay, go to the hospital, go to the old age home, go to this person, go to that house, do this street this week. So, I mean, you've got a remnant of people that's activated. They have practically walked. They have seen the Lord use them. People got healed through them. They have seen the joy of seeing a sinner get saved in tears. And now they, they're on fire for God. And so you start something in a town. And when you leave, it's not just the crusade is ended now and life goes back to normal. No, there is this, this lingering anointing of the Holy Spirit that takes the people in and it continues. Amen. So yeah, that's, that's one of the most amazing things that, that I have, I've loved about doing just this podcast and these interviews. We're, we're getting to about 40 interviews now and seeing just, Lord, just how God is moving in, in all over the world like this. I, I mean, it's hearing your testimony is so similar to so many other people where just, I mean, I, I, was, uh, I was in Nepal a couple of years ago and we were up in the middle of nowhere in the middle of these mountains. And this one, very similar to yourself, there were just a couple guys who love Jesus and they've brought something like 40,000 people to the Lord just in the middle of the mountains of Nepal. <laughs> in the I, middle of the mountains? I want oh, yeah. You know, Nepal is burning in my heart for a long time. You got to hook me up with it. <laughs> oh, I love, I love Nepal. Yeah. Yeah. That, and that's, that's what I've really loved about this is, is being able to hear these testimonies of how much God is doing that we... You know, in, in places like South Africa, here in Pennsylvania, where I am, we don't we don't hear about what's happening in South Africa. The news doesn't talk about what's happening in South Africa, well, you know, especially not what God, especially not what God is doing. And I wish yeah. there was some. I wish there, I wish there was a like a Christian news network that shared about all just these testimonies and things. You know, and uh, my so friend, my friend, my friend, and, and, and excuse me, I'm not interrupting. But no, I've go got for something it. for you. You know this, uh, when they had the Voice of Healing, do you know the magazine called The Voice of Healing? Yes, yes, I do. Um, that was, that was um, Gordon Lindsay that started it in the Healing Revival? Yes. Because all these revivalists and evangelists were doing their own thing. And what Gordon Lindsay took, he took all the testimonies of all the different evangelistic ministries and what was happening all over the country and all over the world. And he put it and he sent that magazine to all the churches. And you know what? People started talking about it, reading about it, and it sparked the healing awakening in the United States of America. Alan, what you busy doing on these podcasts and these interviews, this is it, man. This is what's going to spark revival in this generation. You are taking all these different guys and pulling it in and making it known. I just wanted to say that and say, man, I recognize and I acknowledge what you're doing for the kingdom of God. This is it. This is powerful stuff. Well, thank thank you. you. Thank you. Yeah. Yeah. It, ha- it has been so powerful. And, and I'll say I've, I've been a missionary for, for 20 years. And this, this podcast ministry, these interviews, they have been some of the most powerful ministry 
because just the, the, the feedback and the response of people who are saying, Oh man, I, I listened to, I listened to Charles Kruger. Or I listened to Sam children, just different people I've interviewed and just, they, they have no idea what God is doing. So when they hear someone like you and you're clearly, you're so passionate and you're so on fire for what the Lord is doing and, and God is using you to reach tens of thousands of people, it, people get so fired up for the Lord. And they say, I want to do that. I want to be a part of what, yes. what's going on. And that's, that is so yes. valuable in the kingdom of God. It's, I, I just absolutely love it. <laughs> Me too, man. And you know what, what I've been doing, uh, Alan, uh, we, we took footage of all the hometown gospel campaigns. God said to me, I want you to document everything that you're doing. Uh, so I take photos and I make a little mini documentary and tell the whole story about how this town, how we evangelizing this town and some of the miracles, some of the sermons, some of the testimonies and what happens in the revivals. And, and so you tell this whole, it's like missionography, basically. You tell this whole story, make a little documentary about it. And people watch those little clips. And they get activated for evangelism without them even joining a whole town gospel campaign or going through the practical sessions. They watch it and tears start flowing and they get activated. They receive an impartation and an activation and a transfer of the anointing. And what happens is they, they get boldness just by looking at a clip. They get boldness to go and pray for somebody. Maybe pray for their own children. Maybe pray for people who work for them or their neighbor or something. And they, from there, the Lord starts doing it. We so whenever you go, when you go out to do evangelism, because I, I know I have listeners who, who ask this, this question, how, if you've never met the, a person before, how do you go out and do one-on-one -on -one evangelism? What is the first thing you say to somebody? I found that the first thing is to minister to them. We've never received the ministry of judgment from the Lord. The only ministry that we've received from the Lord is a ministry of reconciliation. In other words, to bring them close to the Lord and to bring them into peace with the Father. Amen. Through Jesus Christ. And so what I do is I tell the people, guys, now look, you've got to be led by the Spirit. But in general, the most effective way that I've seen to lead people to the Lord is going up to somebody and introducing yourself, being real. Tell them what you're doing and uh, say, well, I'm evangelizing the streets and I'm going around praying for people. And, and what I found is most people, most people will allow you to pray for them. And so I go around asking people and telling them, listen, I'm busy with the whole town gospel campaign or we just busy preaching in the gospel today in the streets and ministering to people. And we're praying for everybody. Can I please pray for you? Can I minister to you? Can I... Can I stand in agreement in the name of Jesus to pray for you for something in your life? Most people, they get some people that say, no, I'm busy or no, 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 no. But as the atmosphere changes in that place and as the place gets evangelized more and more, you'll see that mo more people are willing um, for, to, to receive prayer. And so as, when you pray, then you pray and you don't hold back. You don't recite it from a book or something. I mean, you pray from your heart. You let it flow. You be real, be sincere. Let the motive be love. And people will pick that up and you do it with the Holy Spirit. What happens is most of the times when the Holy Spirit is convicting somebody, you'll see the tears. You'll see. And I mean, I've prayed for people in South Africa. And South Africa is 82% Christian. 
You know, a lot of Christian, well, so-called Christians here. I pray for people on the street and many, many, many people say to me, it's the first time in their life that anybody has ever prayed for them. Ever. Yeah, I, I think mean, there's probably a lot of that here too. Absolutely. I mean, you, some of the churches, you go to church, nobody prays for you in that, some of these churches, some of the places, you know. I mean, there's not ministry happening in every church. I was, I was blessed to grow up in a ministry where we prayed for each other, man. We prayed, we laid hands, we prophesied over each other. Anyway, so most, some of these guys never set foot in a church before. Some of them are just not saved, man. Um, they don't, they, their families aren't saved. They didn't have a parent or some uncle or a brother or a child or somebody that prayed for them. They didn't have friends. Their friends are unsaved. They don't have people praying for them um, for the first time in their life. Now, you've got to understand how that impacts a person. It knocks them right between the eyes. I mean, it, the conviction of the Holy Spirit, especially if you minister forgiveness and mercy and love for them, to them, you know, and talk to them about the holiness of God and the comfort of holiness. You know, nobody needs to tell you what a life with Jesus is like and what a life without Jesus is like. Just about everybody knows what a life looks like without, looks like without Jesus yeah. or with Jesus. And so that's where I start. I start praying for them and minister. And I mean, I let, I let loose. I let go. I pray for them as if they are in my church, as if they are a congregant in my church. I look at them not as some stranger. I minister to them as if I knew them for a long time, as if they're no stranger to me because God knows them. So I'm ministering and just connecting and being real with the people, you know, no, not, not trying to judge or bring uh, some, you know, fake fabricated fear induced conversion on them or else, you know, no, I come with, with the love of Jesus and the mercy of God and the forgiveness of sins. And they know they need Jesus. You don't need to help to, to, to tell them. Uh, they know, they say, how can I be saved? And so when you come with the love of Jesus, that's the way that the father saw fit to win the world. It's to show them the love and the mercy. And that's the good news. Yeah. And so when you see that they are crying and the conviction of the Holy Spirit is on them and you feel the unction of the Holy Spirit on you, you know, and, and some don't get too uh, mixed up with the term feel, you know, sometimes we wait to feel something. Sometimes you've got to just, you got to just take it by faith. And then I ask them, uh, can I tell you what Jesus did for me? So first I start praying for them. The second thing I do is I tell them what Jesus did for me and in my life. So I give them my testimony, my witness, not the whole one. I just make a short version of how he saved my soul and forgave my sin because they can't be offended. It's what happened to you. And they'll listen. You know, it's not you telling them you must do this and you must do that or else or else that's coming later. This is still the time where you're witnessing, where you tell, tell them that Jesus saved my life and now I've got joy and he healed me and he's providing for me. And I talk to him, he's my best friend. I love him, you know. Can I tell you about Jesus? Do you want to know about Jesus, how he can save your life? That's the next question. And then you start telling them about 
Those who call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. And Jesus came, died in our place so that we can be free from sin, so that we can have a relationship with a holy God, with a loving Father. He has made a way for us to be free of condemnation and punishment, sickness, disease, poverty. You know, He's made a way for us to come in and be citizens of heaven, to be born again, born from above, born from love, uh, born from God, to be his child, you know, to belong to him. You're not alone. God doesn't hate you. He's not angry with you. He's not disappointed in you. He loves you. He wants to save your life. The things that you're doing in your life that you might think this is the way that you're going to find comfort in life. Some of these sins are destroying your life and it's going to destroy you. It's going to kill you. It's going to, it's going to destroy your life. God has made a way for us to live a better life. And he gives us the ability by his empowerment, because of his love, to be, better better, be a better person. But not just a better person, morally and ethically speaking, but to be saved and washed in the blood of Jesus. So then you start telling them about Jesus. When This is the third step. And then the last thing after you've preached to them and this this is all every time you've got to stay sensitive to the Holy Spirit when they have received this message of the love of Jesus you know and you see that the Holy Spirit is convicting them and then you have you give them you don't walk away and say okay bye-bye thank you very much no you you give them an opportunity you invite them there and then they the right day to make Jesus the Lord of their life, to pray and call on the name of the Lord. And some of them have never prayed before in their life, never. And so you help them, you say, there's no such thing as a sinner's prayer in the Bible where you lead people in a sinner's prayer. But you can stand with someone and say, I'll help you. Let's pray together. And let's pray and call on the name of the Lord Jesus. And this is the most beautiful thing that happens when that person prays this prayer and the, the light that is turned on in their eyes when they give Jesus their life and their heart, you know, when they get saved. I mean, it happens. You can see a difference. Some people believe in you are saved in a whole process. It's a whole process. I believe it's a moment where you are born again. Yeah. Where Jesus becomes the Lord of your life. And you're going to see the light that goes on in their eyes and that smile. Those tears of joy. I mean, the tears is the best. I've held people, big, big guys, standing, weeping, tears of joy, weeping in the streets, unashamed. My whole shirt, my whole shoulder of the shirt was wet with the tears of people. I've had that many times. We go and evangelize and you get home and your whole shirt is wet with tears of people weeping, weeping, joy. Not I'm not talking about grief and sorrow. Yeah. I'm talking about this. This is where they accept Jesus Christ and the thankfulness, the gratitude, the adoration, the worship. That's the born again experience. Wow. That's, that's, that's so that's powerful. Really Man, Charles, I'm going to have to have you back on because we're, <laughs> this hour went by so fast and I really want to wow. hear I really want to hear what you have to share about the the presence of God because I know you said you had a lot there as yeah. well. 
but uh man i'm gonna have to have you back on i i do really appreciate you coming on the show today though uh, i know i know this is gonna be so, I, I, what i do know is a lot of people are gonna walk away on fire for jesus and <laughs> they're gonna want to go just release the fire on this broadcast can i do that yeah i was gonna ask you can you pray to close us out amen amen father in the name of jesus that which you have shown me lord the love that i have seen lord life was never meant to be lived outside of the presence of god outside of the fellowship of the holy spirit this is the reason jesus died and forgave us so that we can have fellowship with one another, that we can be in your house. Lord, maybe there's people watching that haven't accepted Jesus as Lord and Savior of their life. I pray, Lord, that you will just knock on the door of their heart and just, Lord, they'll have the courage to open up and come to Jesus just as they are, not trying to come to imperfect. We can't save ourselves. We've got to come with all our baggage. I pray, Father, that as people are coming to Jesus right now, just calling on the name of the Lord and saying, Lord, I receive you as my Lord and Savior, and I believe that you love me. I believe it with my whole heart. I pray, Lord, that you will just win hearts and awaken love in Jesus' name. Father, forgive sins. And I pray, Father, that those of us that have a calling on our lives that burns like wildfire, Lord Jesus, all that love that burns like a fire, like an all-consuming flame, Lord, I pray that you will give them the ability. You give people the ability by the endowment of power from on high, by the baptism of the Holy Spirit, to walk out their calling and fulfill the dreams in their hearts. And Jesus, I thank you for prophecies fulfilled. I thank you, Lord, for an impartation and an activation of the fire of the Holy Ghost in the name of Jesus. Amen and amen. Hallelujah. I thank you, Lord. For that Amen. joy, unspeakable, full of glory. Woo, glory! In Jesus' name. Amen. Hallelujah. Amen. Man. Enjoy, man. Enjoy. It's awesome. Amen. Thank you. Thank you so much, Alan. Oh, Thanks, thank man. you so much, Charles. I really appreciate it. You're <laughs> such a blessing. It, it was an honor. Me too, man. Have a All good right. evening. Bless you. Thank you. You too. Bye.